0: last time <clears throat> we focused more on what yoga is not and what transformation is not so we can speak a little bit about what it is and how we can go about it one thing is clear transformation is not about gaining some abnormal unusual powers performing miracles having some great inner experiences. It is something much more, not something much less. It is not a sudden process like a revelation or an awakening. It's not a momentary trance in which we fall and come out unchanged as it were. It is something much deeper, much vaster. It is finishing the unwritten story of the epic of our soul. In other words, transformation is a change of the human nature into the divine nature. This human nature, which presently we know, and there are various ways uh, in various legends, myths, traditions, it's been described as a fallen nature. This is the great fall, which is given all kinds of um, limited and s- narrow connotations. But in its uh, reality, it means that there is something beautiful, something vast, something tremendous, out of which this limited, narrow, small human nature has emerged. much like a little seed which Springs out of the tree, carrying all the potentials of the original seed within its original tree within itself, which through its journey, through the course of its journey, through time, it must reveal. So, this little nature, this uh, human nature as we know today, is like the little seed of divine nature which has been cast into the crypt of matter for a long time it must travel through this darkness. Just like a little seed is put inside the soil and there is a long period when it doesn't know light, it doesn't know the freedom, the vastness of space, the freshness of the breeze. It's nourished in all, It's nourished upon all that is waste, all that is uh, rotten, much like our own nature. For a long time it is nourished with suffering, pain, ignorance. And all this has its role in the journey. But till a time comes when the crust of Earth, which covers us like a cloak, begins to crack. And something of the light of the soul begins to shine through this crust. That's the time when our thoughts begin to turn upward, inward. In a process of search and seeking. Otherwise, a lot of life is left, is led without any meaning, without any purpose. But a time comes when we begin to turn our thoughts inward, upward, towards our own source. Where do we come from? Why are we here? Where are we going? What that moment will be is the moment of initiation of our great journey. There are no rituals or rites of initiation as we last time spoke about. In this yoga there is no formal initiation. <clears throat> initiation is when the aspiration fire of aspiration is lit. There is a story of a famous English poet who went out to a farmland and it started to pour and he looked for a room to stay and he knocked at the door of um, the prospective host and uh, unlike today's times people could trust so all that he asked the host asked this stranger at the door was uh, who are you where do you come from where are you going so he gave the answers you know i am so and so and i come from this village and i am going towards that place and He gave him place but the whole night these questions kept churning into his mind who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? And it changed his life. So these are God's ways of initiating us. There are human ways of initiating. There is a fixed time, there is a propitiatory ceremony, there is rites and ritual. But when will God seize upon us? We don't know. He may seize upon us, as Shabinda says in the synthesis, whether at first we will or not, in a most unexpected moment. When we are caught on the crossroads of life, and we are looking just for a signboard, which way? And he comes and says, this way. That's the end. You have taken the road, and the rest is history. This is the initiation of the yoga, and Sri has used the word call to describe it. There is no yoga without a call. It's not a technique. One has to feel a call inside. Because it's a long journey, it's a journey fraught with beautiful things and risks and danger. As Shubhendu says, this charming, dangerous world. At each step, there is a snare and a pitfall. At each step, there are beautiful, glorious summits and ascends. And there are also precipices. So, this journey can be undertaken in its fullness, only if there is a call. This is not a compulsion, this is not an external something. We have to feel inside whether we are ready and willing to undertake this great and perilous journey. Great souls love it because there is a charm even in danger. But weak souls shun it. They want the safe round of a life, from home, it's secure security of the home, to the workplace and back. And sometimes to the club and occasionally to the church. That's the end of the life. The narrow round of uh, customary thoughts, ideas. But this is a great adventure. This is real. This is not a technique. Sri makes it very, very clear, because if human nature has to change into divine nature, at what point can we say it begins, at what point does it end? If the whole nature is the field of this change, then this is something we carry all over once the fire is lit. Of course, there is no doubt that there are places and there are moments when the journey is very concentrated. Aravil is, for instance, one such place where the yoga is much more intense. There is no doubt about that. It's also true that there are moments in life which Sri speaks of as the hour of God, when for an individual and for a community, the process is intensified. Whole nature is trying to shoot beyond itself. All the norms break down, all formulas, they just don't work all that we believed in and trusted collapses right in front of our eyes and we wake up into the vast confronting ourselves. There is a beautiful poem of Tagore. You know how this process goes on. He says in his poem that he is addressing to the divine that he whom you love he whom you love and want to bear the burden of your love means God is loving someone, he lays his hand upon the chosen human vessel that's how Shebindo uses the word in synthesis and we think wow, God has chosen us but we should be careful, it's not an ordinary choice so Tagore says he whom you want to bear the burden of your love what you do to him? in one frontal stroke you tear away all the veils and coverings that hide his being and his soul. He can't hide behind mass because you have chosen to bear for him to bear the burden of his soul. And then he says he has neither wealth nor honor and prestige. All whom he called as friends, relatives, my own, leave him. And he is left on the roadside, nude and exposed, with sky as his cover and earth as his shelter. This is the first kind sign that God has chosen us. This is means to be the chosen one. This is a phrase you know everybody likes and uses very casually. In Savitri, this is described in beautiful. Really extraordinary way, like everything else. What is that moment when the soul is chosen? An absolute supernatural darkness falls on man sometimes when he draws near to God. It's strange. You feel that you know it will be an extraordinary light. A being of light will come and tell us, come, come, enough of your sufferings. <laughs> It's no extraterrestrial creature with those flashy lights and picking you up and taking you to Mars. An absolute supernatural darkness falls on man sometimes when he draws near to God. An hour comes when fail all nature's means cast out from their protective ignorance. That he at lung at he at last must face his soul and be the ungarbed entity within all our means fail we thought this will work out this doesn't work out we thought that will work out that doesn't work out and all kinds of things collapse now it's happening world over in a large way but at an individual level so this is the hour chosen for initiation this is the moment this is the rite and the ritual This is the call. It may come through various means. But once a moment of aspiration is lit, that this is what I want, it is finished. Mother used to say, she has said it to one of the disciples. Uh, In a way it is written also in her collected works, but uh, in a slightly different way. But she has said one mistake you should never do in your life. Now you know, we think of all the sins and all the mistakes, which mistake we we are a bundle of mistakes, which mistake we shouldn't do. Some other says, "One mistake you shouldn't do in your life." because if you have done it, there is no redemption. Never say to the divine, "I am yours, because he takes your resolution very seriously. You may have said passingly, mystic, this is a, I can say it, you know, everybody saying, let thy will be done, let thy will be done. He says, be careful, because after that, the whole world cannot keep you away. You try running away from his clasp, his grasp, and he will chase you like anything. Shobindu spoke of this famous poem of Francis Thomas, The Hound of Heaven. The Divine chases us. Much more swiftly than we chase the divine. This is the secret we discover. Try to run away from him and he will give a nice little punch. And we are back. And if you go closer, yes there is delight. So there is a barometer inside. So this is the way, this is the path. The second thing that Shubindhu tells us that this Divine nature is not something superimposed from above as a crown of our intelligence. Some people feel that if I can intellectually understand, well, this is an illusion, but if I can intellectually understand the supermind, actually the intellect technically understands the supermind. In a sense, it stands under the supermind. But it believes staying where it is, it can understand the supermind. If it believes, some people believe that by understanding about the supermind and talking about these things, by having a concept about what transformation is, they are on the path. All that is needed is some techniques. That's not true at all. It's not like a high crown put on a uh, donkey, which we are. It looks ugly. There was a very nice, you know, uh, real event when somebody wanted to join the ashram and, uh, you know, he, he hesitated for a long time. And this person was asked, you are there, you are already working, why don't you join? He said, you see, the point is, if I'm not sure whether I deserve it or not. If I join, you know, it's like having an ornament on a body which is basically not suited for it ornament doesn't increase its beauty, it makes it look hideous. So he says, I must be ready for this kind of venture. So it's not like putting a crown on the intellect. It's a journey where the entire nature must change from within outwards. That is very important because it's like the blossoming of a tree, the seed. In fact, Shabindu says in one of his um, uh, one-line thoughts that all authentic change is from within outwards. That's why it's not a technique, where outwardly something changes, you know. There are people, these fancies occupy, you know, there are passages when everybody gets into these fanciful moods, that they stop eating, they stop sleeping, and they believe that, you know, another few weeks and they'll be supramentalized. More often than not, they'll land up with one of us. So it's very, very important that these things are the crown, they should happen, because naturally things have happened inside. It's not by an external change that we can attract the supramental. It doesn't care about it. It doesn't happen. The change has to come from within outwards. This lower nature contains within itself the supernature as a seed. And cutting through the shell, slowly changing it, how does a tree grow? We cannot imagine that this mighty banyan tree is contained in little seed. And when it is small, one cannot imagine. You know, if our impatience was the uh, farmer and not the nature, we would say this tree has to become that impossible. So we'll wait, wait, wait. Ultimately, we'll pick up a big log, understand what this banyan tree is like by a mine, plant it inside the soil and say, here is the banyan tree, inaugurate It's a very, very slow, long process, spanning over hundreds of years, maybe thousands of years, because the change has to come from within. Each part of the present and the past has to adapt itself to the future. That is the difficulty of this change. It's not that the past is annihilated and the future is imposed. We can't cut away those knots which hang around us. They have to be slowly, they melt. Slowly, slowly. It's not like in pick up a sword and cut the ego and catapult into a nirvanic bliss. Not in this yoga. The structure of the ego slowly, slowly melts from inside like the seeds outer crust must slowly dissolve and the inner beauty emerge. It's a slow process, patient process. No fixed techniques. shubindu has this interesting letter because nowadays you know uh, people speak of Sri yoga and there are a lot of I've heard about transformational yogas and integrated yogas and yoga of transformation and mother's yoga of transformation and at the end of the day all that is taught is some asanas plus breathing techniques and meditation all old hash nothing else a one hour quick fitness program that's what they should name it that would be more appropriate of course some people add a little bit of guided imagery you know because that's imagination and realization if you see the tree they look they have certain similarities so you imagine that you are being supramentalized and a golden light is flowing through your head it's not like that it's a real yoga. Wherever we go, we carry this process of change because nature is being changed through each and every experience, even the most trivial and trifling. Shobindo speaks of that in the synthesis. Once you are on the path, there is nothing small or great. Each experience and contact and shock of the world becomes a means to unfold the petals. So, this is the process. So, Shobindo has this uh, beautiful letter. What is a perfect technique of yoga, or rather of a world-changing or nature-changing yoga? What could be the technique? How will you limit it to a few set of exercises? People like to limit it because it earns money. But transformation process doesn't require money. It requires money to manifest outwardly, but it requires an inner something, which is very rare, aspiration, sincerity. That is very rare. You can't buy it. So he says, not one that takes a man by a little bit of him somewhere, attaches a hook and pulls him up by a pulley into nirvana or paradise. It's not like I read and you know meditate one hour every day and you know I am into this yoga. One may have some experience. Experience is not yoga, not transformational yoga. They prepare the soil at the most. They have their place, but that's all. The technique of a world-changing yoga has to be as multiform, sinuous, patient, all including as the world itself. This world is many-sided. This world has so many layers and levels to it. This world has its danger, this world has its charm, this world has its heights, this world has its abysses. It's not like going to a nice Himalayan peak on a helicopter with an artificial oxygen supply, taking a few pictures and coming back and saying, look, I have been to the Himalayas. It is literally the entire journey with all its unexpectedness. That's why the mother used the word, this is a real adventure. And I call you to the great adventure. The end is certain. Once one has set feet upon the path, Shwabhinda assures us that beginning contains the end in itself, like the seed. End is certain, once the aspiration is there. But whether it is achieved in a single lifetime or through the many cycles of the stadia of existence, that is where there is the uncertainty part. So here he says, as all including as the world itself, this, the famous all life is yoga, there is a wrong way of understanding it. it, means anything I do, I am doing yoga. It simply means that every aspect of human existence is taken up piecemeal, threadbare, integrated with the whole, and the change is worked through. Nothing can escape. That's why Shubindu uses the word perfect perfection. Supermind is perfect perfection. All aspects of the divine are united in it in a perfection so it's a perfect perfection it does not deal with all the difficulties if, if is the big word if it does not deal with all the difficulties or possibilities and carefully deal with each necessary element has it any chance of success? and can a perfect technique which everybody can understand do that? It is not like writing a small poem in a fixed meter with a limited number of modulations. If you take the poem simile, it is the Mahabharata of a Mahabharata that has to be done. Mahabharata runs in 18 volumes. (laughs) Each is a massive volume. So Mahabharata of a Mahabharata. And what compared with the limited Greek perfection is the technique of the Mahabharata. All that the human mind has known by way of perfection pales into insignificance before this vast program. So, this is the enormity of the task. Second thing which Shobhindu tells us is what is the difference between this divine nature and this human nature which we have to change into? Of course, he will give us central keys. What is this divine nature? because often terms can be confusing. Shobindu speaks of divine love. We have an understanding of love. We say, yes, yes, I feel love for everyone. I'm already experiencing divine love. The mother would tell us divine love is there even in the stones. It's there in the plants. It holds creation. And then she would tell us if human beings come in contact with the true divine love, It seems to them so impersonal, so cold and aloof that they cannot understand it. Divine love can destroy a whole creation out of love. There is those lines in Sri poem, Who? He slays without stint and is full of compassion. He wars for the world and its ultimate years that is divine love the master of man and his infinite lover what does he do? what are his deeds? he slays without stint and is full of compassion but all the while there is only one cry in the heart of this becoming the cry of love pushing us to exceed beyond ourselves pushing us to become what we are in our inmost inmost reality so that's why this is the journey where everything comes to help us exceed every time we meet a limit that breaks down and that is the real meaning of the word immortal immortal in the uh, Upanishadic context is not merely the survival of a limited personality it's not merely the prolongation of life in a body which is somehow growing old but you're prolonging it like last time we were speaking of that's not immortality immortality is to become limitless in the true sense the word there is a very interesting word in Sanskrit janma birth now this janma is to assume limitation the infinite assumes limitation that is birth when it is free of its limitations that is non birth and it's very interesting so when it said birth now it means the infinite spirit has assumed a limited form, limited name, limited nature. It has limited itself. It is born. And non-birth is when it can once again realize its spiritual infinity. Now in this yoga, that's why there is a very famous phrase in one of the ancient Upanishads which Sri says is the basis of divine life, that neither birth nor non-birth alone has the secret What is the secret? To be in the unborn while you are yet seemingly born. This is a paradoxical phrase. What it means is to bring and manifest all that infinity into the scope of this finite. Our finite nature becomes a channel, a pure and perfect channel for the infinities to pour through it that's why shrabindu says that this nature must develop not only openness but plasticity and infinite receptivity because as this flow increases if the nature this limited nature is not ready to adapt because as it descends as it emerges from within if it cannot adapt if it is not plastic it will break down our human nature is not yet ready to bear this great onrush of the divine nature it's far too above That's why in Savitri there is a line, his hides repelled the human frame below. It comes, but the human frame cannot accommodate it, cannot adapt to it, so it goes back. That's why it's a double process in this yoga. On one side there is an opening to the divine, higher nature, an opening to the divinity, which we are. On the other side, a preparation of this field of nature to receive manifest, adapt to that divine nature which is going to flow into us and through us. And this becoming a channel and an instrument, now again you know the word channeling has come very familiar these days, so we should be very careful of all these words, You know, love, ananda, knowledge, knowledge has become intellectual knowledge. But we'll see the difference between divine nature and human nature. It's something very different when the words are used. To become a channel and instrument is only the first step. The next step is to discover that of which this nature is the channel. And the third step is to transcend both. So it's a yoga, but the first step is to make this nature, open it, because that's where we stand, to open it wide in all sides, in the mind, in the heart, in the will, in the very body, to the infinite. So the essential difference between the divine nature and um, human nature which we have to put on is that divine nature acts on the basis of oneness and unity again these terms carry a certain meaning in our heads and we have to cast aside those meanings oneness does not mean a blurring of all differences because the moment we say oneness we mean monotone the mother gives this famous example of Tolstoy's son who said I am going to make the whole world one And recently I had an email from a friend uh, who says, why in India we have so many languages, that's why there is a problem. (laughs) We should have only one language. I said, try creating it and you will have war and riots. (laughs) You can try. Of course for that we have to go back to the roots. But the point is that we it's not a blurring. Oneness is not becoming monotone. It's not a monochrome. So, this is the problem that Divine has taken. So, what is the difference between the Divine nature and this human nature? <clears throat> it is to be free and not a slave. The Divine nature works in freedom. There are no compulsions, no compulsion even to work. We are restless to work and we say, I am at the service of the Divine. Actually, we can't help otherwise. We are so restless. You know? <laughs> I remember one of the trainings that uh, you know we all receive, uh, one of the things that I received in my own little way when um, first time I was given a work. The work was to be like a salesperson in one of the ashram departments. Ashram department don't advertise. You know, they don't even attract people and some of the people are so morose looking that nobody will even want to come and buy anything. <laughs> so so I had to stand there and wait for people to come and buy. And you're not supposed to go overboard. You know, you're not selling a product, <laughs> so you have to remain in drawn. So for hour, two hours, you know, nobody would come. So I was wondering, you know, you know I, was, uh, I used to get these flows of inspiration to write and all this. And I have to check all this. So I realized that I am not here to basically do this. I have to learn. There was a Sanskrit phrase which came as an awakening. Nivrati from pravrati. Nivrati is release. Pravrati is the impulse to act. I must do something. You know, I am feeling restless. I am observing that I am feeling restless. Because nobody is entering the shop. Nobody is coming to buy anything. What is this? Two hours, I am just sitting, no sales. This is a kind of. But divine nature is no compulsion. Shubindu says, I am not compelled to do this. I am not here. Uh, I don't need anything, not even supermind or Sachidananda. I don't need these. There is no compulsion to act. Then why act? Act because that is the will in creation. But if one wants, one withdraws. So there is, it acts in freedom. Here we are compelled by the ego. We don't realize. We think it's a free choice. But all the time nature chooses in us and for us. And Shubinder there's a beautiful word in Savitri. The conscious doll is pushed in a thousand ways. So we think we have chosen. But we have been pushed by a thought coming from this side. Impulse from this side. Emotion arising within. And we think, I have chosen. But actually, if we look very carefully without deceiving ourselves, we'll see we have been pushed. A whole series of things are in the behind which have pushed us and created this one moment. And we know only that last bit. There's that famous uh, story of Einstein who was going with his friend and, uh, you know, he was lost in his own thoughts and maybe it was Auroville because his head struck against a tree with low branches. And he pondered, you know, he stood there, transfixed, as it were. And his friend asked him, What are you thinking? What are you pondering about? He gave a moment's thought. Then he says, the whole universe conspired for this event. (laughs) The head has struck against a little tree, you know. One of us would have said, Oh, these people, they don't even know, you know, this is not the right place, and walked away. Or, I am unconscious. The whole universe conspires towards one small event and it's amazing it can be seen in our own life everything was a step what we thought was the end was turned out to be yet another step towards yet another end and then we realize that we have been pushed we think we chose freely but we were pushed all the while so this nature acts under freedom there is no external compulsion Other is, it is to be one and not divided. To be one. There is only one. Even if you take each aspect separately, though they are not separate. Love. There is only one love. There are no two loves. But in human nature, what it becomes? My love for so and so. So it becomes a divided love. With all the consequences of suffering and pain that are attended upon it. Actually, it's not we who love. Love touched our hearts, our hearts were very narrow, so they turned it immediately into my love. To begin with, it was the first bond of ignorance. The second was, this one I love. So the second bond, and now desire comes in and changes everything. So, But in higher nature, there is only one love, which is working in the entire creation to pull it towards the Supreme. If we start looking at this way, then we see what is the story of love unfolding in our own life. How is it helping us? Even through apparent bitterness, even through what people go through as separation and the pangs of separation, it is preparing us for this great inner ascent. That is what this love is doing. Even through apparent uh, contradictions of love, even when we are hated, love is still active. It is teaching us how to love more perfectly. So this is this nature acts on oneness. Our nature is act by division. Similarly, knowledge. Now we have this term intellectual properties, and uh, my I have discovered it. I have put my stamp, and I'll sell my knowledge. But that's not the truth. Knowledge is one, and it pours. The moment it enters into human mind, it becomes something else. Shabindra says that how, when intuition enters in the human mind, it takes as if the form of reasoning many times. Whereas, actually, it is an intuition. Our human nature is not ready to bear that. Because, in the supernature, the field is very subtle, it can bear the onrush of these forces. We can take another example winds, when they flow, Above, sometimes at amazing speed nothing happens but when they touch the earth devastation lightning travels from one cloud to another and it's fun the gods are playing when we were kids we were told God is clicking your photograph when there was lightning it's fun for the denizens of the upper worlds but if that lightning touches this earth There is a line in Savitri, and those lightnings touch earth's massive roots of trance. If it touches, it just blows off. It's all ash the next moment. That's what the mother says, if one moment that truth, we make it so easy, you know, truth consciousness is entering and I have supermentalized, we cannot even bear the pressure of the mental forces. There is a joke about it when people used to meditate. Mother used to sit, be seated in the center, and right side a group of people who represented knowledge. On the left side, those who represented power. And there was, of course, one person seated right across her. And um, Amal Kiran, he used to watch everybody, and even sometimes draw nice sketches. So. Of course there are many jokes about it when someone asked that why don't you he said I am seeing the divine right embodied seated in front why should I close my eyes and go inside at another time he made a sketch of A.B. Purani A.B. Purani was a wrestler and when he would sit his whole you know neck would sulk and many of us experience this you know when we meditate slowly 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 we are all you know on the floor (laughs) so almost and people wonder what are these guys doing what kind of meditation is this? They are supposed to sit bold straight. But these fellows slowly they start with bold straight and slowly they are all as if here. Uh, no, they don't think as if here. They just feel we, we don't know how to meditate. So <laughs> Amal Kiran wrote a very nice, uh, he made this sketch of Purani, uh, you know, sulking like this and he writes below, undermined by the super mind. It's not easy to bear this pressure. It is vast, it is powerful, it can blow the fuse. A long time of preparation, many, many experiences. So it is to be free and not a slave, to be one and not divided. To be immortal and not obscured by death. To be immortal is to live in that vastness and infinity. Even if you begin to live in the plane of life, there is so much vastness that we mean immortal. That's why many teenagers when they write, they will use the word forever. And they feel it is true. Actually, it is true of the life force which is moving them. It's not the immortality of the spirit, of course. But even at the plane of life, when a person uses the word forever, Actually it is true Though it never lasts forever You know that forever very soon Turns into never But at that point of time Because life knows itself as immortal So instinctively There is this forever There is a sense of eternity But here it is To be in that consciousness Which is so vast Unpartitioned, unwalled Not limited Vastest vastness so that is to be forever, that is to be immortal. You know that body and mind is put forward as a projection, it is absorbed back. So what? I don't cease to be. There is a poem of sherbindo the triumph song of Trishanku. Trishanku was a character who always, like us, was going between, you know, he was uh, jogging between heaven and earth. He wanted to go to heaven with his body. So Vishwamitri does a special tapasya and throws it into heaven. Heaven says this is not allowed. We can smell human flesh. Unchanged, unpurified being cannot enter here because you know we have such beautiful things here. If his nature is untransformed, he will just fall. So go away. So he is thrown out. He is back to earth. Vishwamitra says, How dare they? Again. So much like us, you know, he swings between heaven and earth. And Sometimes unfortunately we have Vishwamitra who says, Okay, I'll create a separate annex of heaven where Trishanku goes and he believes that he is in the real heaven. Vishwamitra creates a separate heaven for, for him. So when we cut up all several times between supermind and you know inconscient, <laughs> we get impatient. Then comes somebody who says, What this is yoga, no no, you don't understand. I'll give you one technique. You do this and you will feel the heavenly bliss of the supramental. And we feel very nice. And we think, yes, at last we got it. What Shorabindra and the mother could not do, he has done it. Carrying the work forward. Carrying the work forward. Like Vishwamitra creates an NXA for this fellow Trishanku. The condition is, if you want to go in the body there, you have to be completely purified. You cannot go without that. So this is the journey. So there he speaks of, in the time song of Trishanku, at the end he says, I am the deathless one. So what? My body dies, not me. This is the first immortality to realize. Unless we realize that immortality, we cannot even imagine the immortalization of the body. Immortalization of the body simply means, This body becomes so beautifully adaptive and plastic to the infinite forces of the infinite consciousness that it just receives and keeps renewing itself. We are very far from that. We have to first get in tune with that infinity of the spirit. So that is the first immortality to be immortal and not obscured by death to be full of light and not darkened to be full of bliss and not the sport of grief and suffering this is the sport we play grief and suffering human beings have a love for tragedy if all goes too well, there was a very nice film, life can be beautiful it's very interesting There is this uh, lady, she cannot believe that really everything can be wonderful. There must be some tragedy, some, you know, some problem, some issue somewhere. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not life. Some drama. There is a love for drama in our life. If we stand back and watch ourselves as in the witness consciousness, we'll see if life is all blissful, it gets very boring. So, you know, it must take certain twists and turns and very few people can live in that constant bliss untarnished unsown shubhendra uses the word unsown by grief and care in the divines inalienable bliss they live unsown by grief and by care that is the plane he speaks of to be uplifted into power and not and not cast down into weakness This lower nature is full of weakness. We want many things, but we are so helpless. We only want, want, want. We cannot get anything. Few things we can get. And the moment we get, we are afraid of losing them. That's why they say there are only two tragedies in life. Not getting what you want and getting what you want. Because not getting what you want, you always believe it will be like this. When you get it, you realize this was not what I really wanted. So you are again unhappy. So they are the only two tragedies. So we don't really get things because we want and we want out of weakness not with a position of strength and power. Position of power is that we don't possess. The moment ego comes into the play, this is mine. We are already working on how not to lose it. So that's to become infinite. It is to live in the infinite and possess the finite. This is the whole beauty. This body is finite, the mind is finite, the heart is finite, and yet they can become channels of the infinity of love, ananda, knowledge, power, and strength, and peace, and wideness. It is to live in God and be one with Him in His being, To become thyself is to be this and all this flows from it. Be free in thyself and therefore free in thy mind, free in thy life and thy body. For the spirit is freedom. These are mantras, so I'll just read them. Be one with God and all beings. Live in thyself and not in thy little ego. For the spirit is unity. Unity cannot be arrived at by... Association and adaptation of the ego. It's just not possible. It's an impossible attempt. But human beings will try it before they really learn of true unity. At the level of the ego, there will come a point where there will be self and not self. It's just not possible. But first, ego tries to build unity by clash and conflict, by possession and devouring. Because there is unity inside. All strives to enforce the unity that all is. So, the ego tries first by overpowering and absorbing into oneself, making my own. Next, through sympathy, cooperation, giving and receiving. But both are imperfect means. Be thyself immortal and put not thy faith in death. It's not about the destructibility of the body that is being spoken here. I don't cease to exist. Even if my body were burned, or buried, or broken into thousand pieces. I am. That is the faith in immortality. For death is not of thyself, but of thy body, for the spirit is immortality. This is the faith we must carry. To be immortal is to be infinite in being, and consciousness, and bliss, for the spirit is infinite. And that which is finite, lives only by his infinity. These things thou art, therefore thou canst become. Now this is another secret he is telling us. We are in our secret nature that. Therefore even in our manifest nature we can become that. To possess these is to become the superman. So superman is not an easy task. To possess the infinite bliss, infinite consciousness, infinite love, infinite the infinity of truth and light, oneness, to live in the unity of the spirit is the first step towards supermanhood. To possess these is to become the superman for... It is to rise out of mind into the super mind. Superman. Super mind is superman. Therefore, to rise beyond mind is the condition. This is the first. Mind is division, super mind is unity. And then, beautifully, we'll close with this passage and then we'll continue next week. For those of us who seek for a work, We are all doing mother's work. What is the work? This is thy work and the aim of thy being and that for which thou art here. In life divine he says this is the work, the works of works, the sole acceptable sacrifice without which man is nothing more than a worm who has managed to form itself in a little speck of mud and water amidst the appalling immensities of the universe. This is thy work and the aim of thy being and that for which thou art here to become the divine superman and a perfect vessel of the Godhead. All else that thou hast to do is only a making thyself ready or a joy by the way or a fall from thy purpose. These are the only three things we do. (laughs) Either we make ourselves ready depending on the attitude or it is a joy by the way. You are moving ahead and the divine chooses to bestow certain things as joy on the way. Or a word of caution, fall from the purpose. But the goal is this and the purpose is this. And not in power of the way, and the joy by the way, but in the joy of the goal is the greatness and the delight of thy being. And what gives the joy? And here comes a master secret. The joy of the way is because that which is drawing thee is also with thee. Mother says, never forget that you are not alone. The divine is with you. Helping and guiding you. Have faith. And he will do everything for you. Because he is with us. In the Gita there is a very interesting question that Arjuna puts. He says there are those who go by the way of knowledge. Through hard austerities. Tapasya. And there are those who go by the way of surrender. What is the difference? Krishna says there is a difference. Both reach the same goal eventually. But the difference is those who go by the path of tapasya, they walk through a very difficult path, terrible path, not at all easy. Those who go by the way of surrender, even their journey is full of delight because the divine walks with them and is by their side. If thou hast a duty, this is thy duty. All other duties fall away once we take up this. If thou ask, what shall be thy aim? Let this be thy aim. If thou demand pleasure, there is no greater joy. For all other joy is broken or limited. The joy of a dream or the joy of a sleep or the joy of self-forgetting. But this is the joy of thy whole being. For if thou say, what is my being? This is thy being, the divine. And all else is only its broken or its perverse appearance. If thou seek the truth, this is the truth. Place it before thee and in all things be faithful to it. So this is the journey, its overall map, putting on of the divine nature into this human nature. The nature of oneness to make this finite vessel This limited human nature, a vessel, a channel, an instrument, flawless and perfect of the infinite consciousness, infinite bliss, infinite love, infinite peace. And that in not just one part, not only in the mind or in the heart, but in each and every nook and cranny of a being. And that's why the path is long and we should not grudge it. Thank you. So, any quick questions we can take? Yes, please. Is there a way to practice your yes. 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 And this yes. <clears throat> yes both things are there and have to be done now I am proceeding from the center to the periphery so we'll talk about the method but I'll just quickly touch upon a few but it's always good to keep the center right because sometimes otherwise we lose in the peripheries now the central point is opening and opening not to any force Shirobinder said very categorically not to the force but to To the mother, because that is the embodiment of the divine nature, not out of any uh, religious cult, but because she embodies the divine nature and brings it in our close range. So, when we open to her, through her we can open to the divine nature which we cannot even conceive of. So, this is the center. Now, how to open and what would facilitate the pouring of her forces into us? That is the principle behind the practices. Now, quite naturally, if my mind is turbulent and restless all the time, even when the divine pours himself, I mean, one is open to the mother, eventually she will make even the mind quiet, if you really remain open. But there is no harm in doing a little bit of practice from our side. So, you know, one can learn to separate the purusha from the prakriti, to stand and witness. Yogindu speaks about it as one of the elementary practices. And when one looks at nature from a dispassionate way, from a mental witness standpoint. Then there is the other practice of concentrating in the center of the heart and going deep inside to come in contact with the psychic being. The more we get in contact with it, the more that effulgence spreads out. Then there is another way of doing Nishkam karma. You know, whatever action we do, we have to see that we are not doing it for any material or subtle rewards. Now material reward, obviously by the very fact one lives in Auroville or a place like Ashram, it is understood that it's not for any material reward. Of course, uh, there can be spin-offs, but <laughs> but by and large. But then there are subtle rewards, praise. So, you know, you do a work very well and nobody praises. It's a beautiful opportunity to practice yoga. Or somebody in fact says, oh, you did this, uh, you could have done this way and it was better. This is the time to practice yoga. So, nishkam karma, you know. All this prepares the Outer nature, its crust to fall away and make it more and more reflector of that light. In short, anything that can take away the hold of the ego, the stronghold of the ego, and the intense clutch of desire on a being is good. Anything. It can be as simple as mental control over greed of food. It This is one step. Anything. It can be simply a regular discipline that I'll wake up every day morning at 6 and take a walk. Because you are imposing a mental will upon physical nature. But the only thing is, you see, sometime when we do this only and not do the center, then we may be lost. Because one can make a whole yoga out of waking up in the morning and walking one kilometer or one hour and say, this is Shabindu's yoga. No. The central point is to open. If one can open, and if one can open with a genuine... In fact, Shabindu says the shortest way is self-giving, with bhakti, with surrender then the divine can actually do everything there is a letter of shirabindo where he says the inner veils can be broken the nature purified the instrument made ready and perfect if the heart can have devotion now there he says even goes to this extent of saying that uh, you know then the divine really undertakes though it may take a little longer because if the nature is very turbulent but he will give us the right experiences And from the inner, inmost being, he will change our nature in a way that it becomes quiet, it becomes receptive, and everything is reshaped. But since that kind of self-giving and trust is very rare, you know, there is one of the things of mother, the path is um, long, but um, self-giving makes it shorter. The path, the way is difficult, but um, trust makes it easy. So trust and self-giving, if they are held as the core principle and opening as the core principle, then actually even if one does no technique, one will go through. Whereas if one does techniques and doesn't do this, one doesn't go through. But the best is to combine a little bit of both.